You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. We believe the Word of God is, as Hebrews chapter 4 says, living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. We're going to be turning our attention to the last of the, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, statements that Jesus uh, made in his Sermon on the Mount. You can find it in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 43. This is the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Please be seated. So I read a story about C.S. Lewis this week uh, who received published criticism from a Dr. Uh, Pettinger, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. It was in 1958. He published the criticism in the Christian Century magazine or publication. And the criticism was that he believed that C.S. Lewis did not care much for the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you don't know who C.S. Lewis is, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He's written a whole bunch of books. Um, And uh, just one uh, one of the great statesmen of the church that God just has used and continues to use, even though he is in heaven today, continues to use his writings. Uh, in in so many lives, including mine. But he was criticized for that. Lewis published published a response, which I think, at this point in the sermon series, you may resonate well with. He said this, As to caring for the Sermon on the Mount, if caring for here means liking or enjoying, I suppose no one cares for it, Who can like being knocked flat on his face by a sledgehammer? I can hardly imagine a more deadly spiritual condition than that of a man who can read that passage with tranquil pleasure. Right? I I resonate with that. Like, Like, especially this. What, Jesus? I must be perfect as my Heavenly Father is perfect? Man, it's... uh, I reiterate that that the Sermon on the Mount has been really good for my heart. It has... It has uh, picked off scabs in my spiritual life that needed to be picked off. Uh, it has addressed things in my own heart that I had uh, either ignored or had forgotten. And it's been really good for me. I've had multiple conversations with many of you, just uh, some of you who are fairly new to Meadowbrook, where your first Sunday, you, you arrived at Meadowbrook, and that sermon was the uh, a sermon from the Sermon on the Mount that just hit you where you were at. Um, it's been, it's been mind-blowing uh, to me. It, unlike any other sermon series, I have had more of you come to me and say, 
you know, <laughs> I know you didn't know that this was going on in my life, but this really spoke, you know, spoke into my heart. I've had more people in my office uh, throughout the week just wanting to talk because of how God has used the Sermon on the Mount in, you know, in their lives. And so uh, it has been good for my soul. I, 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 I trust it's been good for you. But I do resonate with, with C.S. Lewis's statement here. Man, sometimes as I've been reading through and studying through the Sermon on the Mount, it's felt like God taking a sledgehammer uh, to me and just putting me on my face. And uh, it, it is the center. The Sermon on the Mount is the center. It, it calls us to the center. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. And the gospel uh, leads us to that center, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, and of, of all the teachings so far, of all the, you have heard it said, but I say to you, uh, this, is, this last one, I think, is, the, is one of the more difficult ones. How do you love your neighbor? Like, what does that look like? Or not your neighbor, but your enemy. Loving your neighbor is easier. Loving your enemy is a little harder. Like the the previous uh, part section in verse 38, he said, "You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth." But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. I, you know, that's a little easier than loving the one who is evil, because the one who is the one who is your enemy uh, means malice for you, right? Wants harm done to you, or you know, does not want your good. And Jesus is telling us that person. That person you are to love. Daniel Aiken said this. He said, uh, returning evil for good is satanic. Returning good for good is simply human. Returning good for evil, now that is divine. That is divine. And so uh, I think it's appropriate that Jesus would conclude his sermon, or conclude this section in his sermon with this final statement. And uh, I just want to unpack it for you, and just uh, hopefully you can see that uh, there is good news here, and uh, there is reason to rejoice in the gospel in light of what we read uh, in, in these verses. But what I want to look at is just, just to kind of help us under, see the context of these verses, just what has Jesus said so far? What has he taught so far in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you know, as, you, as, you, you know, as we've worked our way through it? so far. I mean, think about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes could be broken off into two sections. You have the Beatitudes of, uh, of need, and you have the Beatitudes of response, right? And so the Beatitudes of need are, are the first three. That shows us just what, is, what does it look like to come to Jesus in faith for the salvation of your soul. Well, you're, you're poor in spirit. You're, you're, you mourn over your, your sin. Uh, you're, you're, you're meek in that you're, you're, you're humbled before the, the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like. You come with empty hands. You come mourning over your sin. You come to the cross just broken. Like, I can't, I can't fix my life, but Jesus can those are the first three Beatitudes. And then the, the, the fourth Beatitude, he says, okay, so blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Well, well what does that look like? Well, uh, if you come to the cross, you're going to, in the way that those first three Beatitudes show us, if you truly come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to hunger and thirst for a righteousness that is not your own, unlike the Pharisees and the scribes. 
They thought they had it down. They're righteous. Religious people think that they have it nailed down. But the Christian understands, I'm a mess. You're a mess. <laughs> we need grace. We need mercy. We are continually mindful of just how far we fall short of, of God's standard of holiness. That's what it looks like to be poor in spirit. To be to mourn over your sin, to, to be meek, to be just broken over your sin, and, and to understand that Jesus is the righteousness that will satisfy the longing of your heart, that, that he is the answer to your satisfaction, to your joy, not the kind of joy that you wind up with a smile on your face all the time, but the kind of joy that even when things are, are, are difficult and hard and you don't see an end in it and you feel like you're suffering and, and, you're, and that suffering's like an ocean and you're just treading water and your nose is just above that water. It, it, Jesus is enough. That's the kind of joy that, uh, and satisfaction that, that, that the Christian experiences in Jesus. He is enough. And then you have the Beatitudes of response. You know, the... You know, the that this is the fruit of the Christian life. Is it perfect? No. But, but it's the fruit of the Christian life. You know, merciful. A Christian is, is one who is able to be merciful. A Christian is one who pursues holiness. Hasn't nailed that down yet, but pursues it. The Christian is one who, whose uh, presence, wherever he or she goes, represents the presence of this great and awesome God. Because, because shalom, the, 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 the biblical term for the Hebrew word for peace, is not possible to experience unless the presence of God is in the room. And, uh, and whose joy is rooted in Jesus even when life gets hard. You're not going to throw in the towel. You're not going to say, I give up on the faith. If, you're truly, if you've been truly born again, you will not walk away from the faith permanently. So, and Jesus continued in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, so what does that look like? Well, it looks like, it looks like salt and light. As the Christian lives his or her life uh, in a world where fallen humanity, and this is so, I mean, turn on the, well, don't turn on the news, you'll be angry. put you in a bad mood. I cleaned the, our rabbit cage uh, in our backyard this week. And I knew, I told, I told my youngest, he had off on Monday, it's his rabbit, I disowned the rabbit. But uh, <laughs> I said, this is going to put me in a bad mood. And like, I knew it. And, uh, and so why? Because I'm the one who has to clean out the rabbit poop and stuff. Man, they're dirty critters. So, so I clean it out and... Uh, and then I'm already, like, angry at the rabbit. Why do we have this useless pet? <laughs> this, is why they, this is why people eat them, you know. This is going through my mind. And, uh, and then my son, you know, Seth is cleaning off one of the things of the cage with a hose. And then he drops the hose, and the hose squirts me. I'm like, oh. I probably said it under my breath. I wish that rabbit would die. <laughs> um, 
That just, just talking about the news just triggered that. It also triggers the, the uh, just recalling, man, there's so much work to be done in my life. I felt so bad about what I said about that rabbit. I was thinking, I, I want, I, so I went to bed. I was thinking, man, if I were Seth, I would not want to hear my dad every time he cleaned the rabbit cage how much he wished the rabbit would just, you know, like, what's the life expectancy of a rabbit? Like, are we at four years yet? <laughs> you know, um, so I apologized to him. I said, I will not talk the way that I talked about your rabbit in front of you <laughs> ever again. Uh, he said, thank you, Daddy. I'm like, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, but we live in a world that calls evil good and good evil, right? And Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Our world calls evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, meaning our world is upside down. And Jesus, you know, in light of what we learn of ourselves through the Beatitudes, Jesus said, and you, Christian, are salt in a world that is perverse, and you are light in a world that is dark. So let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so this is what the Christian life looks like. And, and then he, you know, he goes into you know, these six statements. The, the first, before he even gets into the first, the, those six statements, and you, need to, you need to remember this. He said, right, remember, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And then what did he say? He said, uh, he said this, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never inherit the kingdom of heaven. Then he just goes through these, you know, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, all, all six of them. And all six of those statements were meant to uh, critique and correct this, this, I wouldn't even call it a misunderstanding, a perversion of God's law that the, that the scribes and the Pharisees were responsible for. And as we work through this, we're like, man, one of the things that you should, I, at least I was saying to myself, is just, man, I fall short. I mean, Jesus said, you have heard it said you shall not murder, but how many of us hated a person? Had that kind of anger, like, I don't even want to be near that person. Yeah, I, Jesus said, you have heard it said you should not commit adultery, but I say to you, Man, even if you lust, I mean, how many of us in this room have lusted after somebody? You know, and, and, and on it goes. And I think, as I read this, I think the point is, man, I got to keep going back to a righteousness that I can't generate of my own, out of my own self. I need Jesus. He is everything. He is the center. He is everything. He's not just some past to get me out of hell. He is my treasure. He is my joy. He is my satisfaction. He is everything, and I need him to be everything in my life. And, and so that's, that's what we've seen so far. And then, then we come to this final statement, this final you have heard it said statement, and it just, it just blows us away. You have heard that it was said you shall not, or that you shall love your neighbor 
and hate your enemy. Just so you, you know, which leads me to our first point is it's who is my enemy? You know, who is this person? The Pharisees and the scribes like, took, <laughs> they took the moral law, which I talked about last, last week. So the moral law is the Ten Commandments, right? They took the moral law. The, the last six commandments are all about how you treat your neighbor. And then, then they took some, some verses and passages in the Old Testament and they put them together and they, and they just perverted it. They say, yeah, you can love your neighbor, but let us tell you who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is actually the Hebrew people. That's your neighbor. Any Gentile or anybody who, who, who's you know, not of the Hebrew people, they're your enemy. That's what the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were, were, were saying of, you know, of anybody who was not Hebrew or anybody who did not convert to Judaism. And, and so Jesus said, you've heard this. This is a, a teaching you've heard from these guys. But I say to you... <laughs> Love your enemy. Love your enemy. And just don't stop there, because talk is cheap. Pray for him. Pray for your enemy. So, so who's my enemy? Well, um, I, I think the Pharisees and the scribes were reading passages like Psalm 139, and I'm just going to call out the elephant in the room of God's scripture because there are hard, difficult passages in the Bible that sound very violent, and are, actually. So Psalm 139 says, you know, they, the psalmist says, they speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do not I loathe those who r- rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my, what? Enemies, right? They're like, yep. And so the Pharisees and the scribes are like, so I hate your enemy. Oh, it gets worse. Deuteronomy chapter 20. But in the cities of these peoples, what cities? The Canaanites and other people groups. They were worshiping other gods. I'm not preaching on this today, okay? I just want you to go home and lose sleep over it. Um, but in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes. Wipe out all the living, men, women, children, their pet cat, their dog, your, their rabbits, <laughs> uh, all of them. Uh, but you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods, and so you sin against the Lord your God. Now, I just want to add a little context to this because I don't want to wreck your... Your, your life today as, you're, as you go home thinking about this. Um, some of the practices that they did were sacrificing their first child on the arms of Moloch. They would light up the flames and they'd lay this child there and kill, this, and kill their children. Uh, there were temple prostitutes. It was a form of worship. Uh, there were all kinds of stuff that went on in, in these regions. And so I preached a whole sermon on this passage uh, years ago, and uh, 
it's not posted anywhere. So uh, one day, maybe I'll preach on this. Um, why does God? Uh, why did? Why did God endorse things like that? But so the so the scribes and the Pharisees, they 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 read passages like this, and they're like, so who is our enemy? Anybody that's not a Hebrew, anybody that's that's that doesn't uh, that doesn't worship Yahweh. And what they were doing was they were perverting the civil laws of, 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 in the Old Testament, and they were misunderstand, or refusing to, to, to understand that these are passages about the holiness of God. These are passages that remind us that, that we stand uh, you know, at odds with this living God, and this God who is holy. And uh, we set our face towards him. Uh, from the moment of birth, we read, you know, we see this like in, in Psalms, in sin, my mother conceived me. And there are a whole slew of other passages that talk about how, just how far short we fall. The problem is, is when you're really religious and you think that you're holy, when you're not, <laughs> it's so easy to, to, to look at everybody else as just totally missing the mark. We do that with our own sins, by the way. We tend to be less critical with others regarding the sins that we struggle with most and most critical with others regarding sins that we don't really struggle with. And so these Pharisees and these scribes were like, you know, totally misunderstood what, what the Word of God was teaching. And in fact, uh, just, just so you're aware of this, God warned the Hebrew people. This is actually in my ma- manuscript and it will be online later this week. But God warned his people, if you worship the gods of, uh, you know, of these other people groups, if you bow down to them, you start sacrificing your children to their gods, I will, I will vomit you, literally in Hebrew, I will vomit you out of the land. You will be vomited out. You will be, there will be another nation I will use. It's uh, an evil nation. I will use them. And... Uh, like the Assyrians or the Babylonians, and I will, you will be carried out into exile and you will be disciplined by the Lord. And God said, I am, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and your enemies who persecute. Now here's the funny thing, or not funny, here's the ironic thing. Why was Rome occupying Israel during first century Palestine in Jesus' day? It's the, it's the repercussions of Israel's worship of other, of other gods and being in exile and being brought back into the land and not having their hearts fully devoted to the Lord. They're being disciplined. And here you have these Pharisees and these scribes calling you know, Gentiles dogs and, and that kind of thing. So just really, inter- really important to note, God promises in the book of Revelation there's coming a day where God will judge the nations, and it will not be it will not be pretty. It will be it will be ugly. It will be violent. But right now, in this season, is a season where God God is offering offering His terms of of peace, and the way to to receive it, those terms of peace is through Jesus Christ. And the fact that the sun is shining today is evidence of God's goodness and mercy and grace upon our lives. And Jesus even points that out in verse 45. He says, uh, 
that your Father in heaven makes his sun shine on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. That the, re- that the fact that you woke up this morning is evidence that God is, is good to you and he doesn't have to be good to you. He's merciful. He doesn't have to, he's not obligated to be merciful. He's, he's lavished grace upon you. He, he doesn't have to do those things. You know, the Bible says, and you're, many of you are familiar with these verses, and it's in the Psalms, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, quoted the Psalms in Romans chapter 3. He said, there is no one righteous. There's no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here's, here, here's what God is doing in our world. There's this passage, Romans chapter 2. I think, yep. Um, let's read this together, ready? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will repay each person according to his deeds. Why does the sun rise in the morning? Why, does it, why, why do we receive rain? Why, why is the wind blowing? And why, why, why are we alive? Why, are we, why did we wake up this morning? Because of God's kindness. Of his kindness. And, and what is the purpose of that kindness? To lead us to repentance. That there is a God who spoke the galaxies into existence. And he allowed you to get up this morning. He is a good God. And his goodness and his kindness is designed to show us our sin and to lead us to the cross of his son as those who are poor in spirit, mourning over our sin, and who are just done with ourselves, humbled. So how do I love my enemy? That's the next point. How do I love my enemy? Well, um, it, <laughs> you know, what word does Jesus use here? There are four different words in the Greek for love. Does he use brotherly love? <laughs> Just have a brotherly love for your neighbor. Um, kind of maybe in the Philadelphia way, you know. <laughs> uh, the city of brotherly shove. That's what, that's a, it's really named the city of brotherly love. We get uh, philo uh, means brotherly love, and so Philadelphia. Um, so anyway, you don't need a Greek lesson. But so... There are four different uh, words for, for love. There's eros, which is sens- sensual love. There's uh, the brotherly love I just mentioned. There's storge, which is a f- uh, like a family kind of love. And then there's agape, which is a, um, it's a sacrificial love. Uh, it's an unconditional love. It's, it is the kind of love that you and I have experienced from God. It's the kind of love that God gives upon his people or, or, or lavishes upon his people. So Jesus says here, um, I say to you, love your enemies. So what, what kind of love, Jesus? Agape. <sighs> Wish he didn't go there. <laughs> and, the word, and, and the word for agape here uses it in the, ver, in the verb tense, meaning this is an action. It's not just how you, it's not just addressing the motives of your heart. This is how you respond to your enemy. Love them in the same way that God has loved you. 
even when they mean harm for you and say all kinds of horrible things about you and stand opposed you know, to you, they stand against you, love them. Love them. Love them in the same way God loves you. And Jesus even modeled this, didn't he? He was on the cross. What did he say on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, um, here's something I think is helpful in just wrapping our minds around this. What I think Jesus is getting at here is that he wants us to see our enemy as another human being who bears the image of the living God that Jesus also went to the cross for. And you know, because we were there, each and every one of us, at some point in our lives, the world is blind to the gospel. The Bible says the God of this world is blind to the God, like Satan has blinded the minds of those who are unbelieving. You know, the, Bible, the devil is described as the father of lies. He's the great deceiver. And, uh, and, and people who don't know Jesus behave like people who do not know Jesus. And sometimes people who do know Jesus behave like they don't know Jesus, right? Um, like Paul, the Apostle Paul of all people, he said something in Romans, but before I even go there, remember who Paul was, the Apostle. He was a persecutor of the church, and what did he do? He made life really difficult for Christians. There was another follower of Jesus who repeated something very similar to what Jesus said on the cross. His name was Stephen. Stephen was, uh, was preaching the gospel, and people got really angry, and it says that they even grit their teeth, and they're like, ah, they, got, they were enraged with Stephen. And so they drug him out of the, of the city, and they... They were going to stone him, but before they did that, there was a guy by the name of Saul, now known as Paul, who, we, who gave approval of, of what was about to happen to Stephen. Like in stoning, just so you know, stoning was not pretty. You would take big rocks and you would literally cave in this person's body and their skull with them. And it says in Acts chapter 7, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. It's a phrase that's used of the Christian, because death is not permanent for the Christian. It's not, death is, you know, the grave is not death's victory dance for the Christian. And so when Paul wrote what he wrote in Romans chapter 5, he felt the words that he penned in his letter to the Romans very deeply. Romans 5.10. Let's read this together. Ready? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Man, brothers and sisters, we were enemies of the living God. We were enemies. We stood opposed to him. The, 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 the picture I have is, and I've used it before, the, the illustration, is that we ran from God like a thief runs from a cop. Like that's, that, that's, that was our posture. Whether you know it or not, that was your posture. That was my posture. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. 
The, the Bible describes us as following the prince of the power of, this, of, of the air, which is the devil. The Bible says that before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you were a child of the devil. That's who we were. And you didn't go looking for him. You were an enemy. Because in your posturing and in my posturing before I became a Christian, uh, that you stood opposed to him. It was either you and I were going to sit on our throne or, or nothing else. God had to relinquish his throne. That is er the posture of every human being born into, into this world. And here's the marvel. God pursued us. That's the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. He pursued sinners who were enemies to reconcile us to himself when he didn't have to. And so Jesus is saying, if you are a disciple, if you follow me, love your enemy. Because you, of all people, Christian, have experienced a love that the world has never experienced. That this God not only rescued us, he redeemed us through his son, and he calls us his own. We are his sons now. We are his daughters now. He says that we're treasured. And then he sends us out into the world to be light and salt in a place that stands opposed to this God. And, and here, newsflash, right? Uh, <laughs> the world that stands opposed to God will also hate you. That's what Jesus said. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. <laughs> it hates you because of your association with me. That's who we were. And so it's easy. It's easy to love those who love you back, Right? Pretty easy. It's, it's also easy to love those who are like you. You know, we do that really well in the church. It's easy to, you know, people we're familiar with, it's easy to love the people we're familiar with. We think that because we're loving people like us that we're really friendly. When the reality is that sometimes we treat those who we don't know as the stranger. Even believers. Those who maybe visit a church for the first time. I've, got, I've done that. Like, between Missio Day Fellowship and Meadowbrook, I visited some churches and got to experience what it was like to be the, um, the outcast, the weird person, or the, the person who doesn't have the friends in, you know, in the church. And some of those churches I visited were really lonely for me. I just kind of sat down, nobody talked to us. It's easy to love those who, who are like us, but to love our enemy? Like, that's against our nature. But Jesus calls us to that. And then he ends with verse 48. If that were not enough, <laughs> he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is why we know the Sermon on the Mount is not meant for the world, it's meant for the Christian. What is he saying here? What he's saying is, this is a command. In fact, this is a, it's in the indicative. It's, it's a command. You must be perfect. But it's not just in the indicative. It's a... Uh, it literally is it's like in the future tense. It's, it's like it literally means you shall be perfect. It's a really it's an interesting verse. 
And you can, in the English, you don't see it, but in the original language, you do see it. And what he's saying here is that you are commanded to be perfect and you will become perfect. Meaning, this is the mark. You need to move towards the mark. You need to, like, in obedience, submit yourself, uh, die to yourself, and, 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 and strive for this, to love your enemy and to, and to, and to be the Christ follower Christ calls you to be. But, but you're not going to nail it down perfectly. Jesus understands that. But he promises that there's coming a day when, when you will be perfect. And he's going to see to it in our lives. He's doing that work in you and in me. It's kind of like saying, uh, I know it's hard to forecast weather in, in Wyoming or along the Front Range. Uh, we have a meteorologist in the church right now, so I'm pointing to him. Uh, it's hard, uh, right? But it's kind of like saying, it will be windy tomorrow, which chances are in Cheyenne, you're gonna, it's going to be windy. It's going to be windy tomorrow. Or it will snow next week or, or sometime in January. This is what Jesus is saying here. You, you must be perfect and you shall become perfect. I love those words. Uh, uh, one theologian said this, and I'm, I'm, I'm concluding with these, these words and, and one more passage in the Bible. He said this, and I, I, couldn't, I, can't, I cannot improve upon what this person wrote, and so I'm going to read it for you, and the words are not on the screen, just listen. It says, to live as Jesus lived, we must identify our enemies. Identify them. Those who make us think of revenge. Those enemies offer us the opportunity to love as our Father loves. For God loved us when we were strangers and alienated from him. He loved us when we were his enemies. Our animosity could not thwart his love. He loved us, gave us new life, and drew us to himself as his adopted children. He has poured his transforming grace into our hearts so we can love our friends, our neighbors, and even our enemies. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What Jesus is saying there is be his son, be his daughter. What's the natural thing that a son or a daughter wants to do? They want to be like their parents if they're good parents, until they get to teenage years. <laughs> then they think they know better. But, but what do you, is the point here is be like your heavenly father. In what way? In terms of his character, his holiness, his grace, his mercy. Be like him. Strive to be like him. It's one other passage, 1 John chapter 4. And I just want us to close with this. Let's read this together. Ready? In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The world needs to see that. And I'll tell you what, you, know, you love your enemy. They might not see it, but you love your enemy they will, on some tangible level, they will experience the kind of love that you and I have experienced by God himself. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your grace. God, I lift up anyone in this room who does not yet know you because they do not yet know your son, Jesus, that they will hear these words, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose on the third day, 
God, that, that your word says that, that that person will be saved, not just because of something they believe in their head, but because they really believe it with their whole being. And uh, for the rest of us, God, we want to be the kind of people that love our enemies well. Whoever they are, that we love them well. And I uh, thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.